This morning's reading is from Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for it is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your, your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up it with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. All right, so today we are talking about spirit-filled children and parents as we're continuing this series in Ephesians. You know, there's so many stories out there about, in, in the Bible about terrible parents. In fact, it seems that the majority of the stories about parenting in the Bible is not good ones, it's actually terrible ones. Very few, it seems, turns out well. Whether it's the favoritism that we see from Jacob, whether it's the neglect of King David, or the lack of discipline of the high priest Eli, or, or the pride of King Solomon, it seems so many of, of these great leaders of faith end up being terrible parents, and their children are going astray. I heard this terrifying story this past week, and went reading in the, the Exalting Jesus in Ephesians commentary, and it was a story of uh, a guy named Dr. Chuck Quarles. And uh, he tells the story of when he, a well-known Bible scholar took him out to lunch. And as they were hanging out, Dr. Quarles told this scholar about what an incredible ministry he had. And he was just going on and saying, I mean, all the works you've produced, the, the commentaries you've written, everything you've done, it's such a prolific career, all these books. Like, how is it that you've had such an amazing career? It blows me away. He says, how is it that you've done that? And this theological heavyweight turns to him and mumbles under his breath and says, I, I sacrificed my child. And he said, What? He thought he misunderstood him, and he says, what did you say? And he says, you heard me. And with angrily, he said, I, I sacrificed my son on the altar of, of scholarship and ministry. Dr. Charles Quarles said that he had, said that he went on to share how he had devoted his whole life to being driven to research and write and study and write books and academia. And he said his son basically grew up with a, without a father, and his son now has grown up to hate the world, to hate God, and to hate his own father. And Dr. Quarles says he tried to comfort him. He says, there's no way that's your fault. And the scholar angrily rebuked him and said, you don't know what you're talking about. He says, I, I would give everything in the world for, I would turn away, back every book. I would give up every class and every plaque on my wall if it meant I could have my son back. And he looked at him and he said, if you have any hope of following my pathways as I pray to God, you will not do it. Spend time with your son. Now, a terrifying story that, to be honest, that there's, there's nothing in the world that scares me stories like that. I have three boys, five, seven, and ten, and there's nothing that scares me more in the world than the prospect that knowing that I cannot control my children. Um, I can do what, what the Bible tells us to do, and the Bible has a lot about it, and it commands us to do a lot, but I cannot control them unless I, I treat them as robots. In that case, they're still not going to do it. But um, So this passage today has to, to do with parenting and children. It's a, it's a humbling passage and one that I look forward to us jumping into. If you're just joining us, we're in the home stretch now of Ephesians. We've been in this since October. We're now in chapter 6. We just got a few weeks left in this letter, and we've spent time looking through the whole book. The first half has been summarized of basically what has Christ done for us now that he has saved us, he has redeemed us, he has bought us with his blood. The second half, starting in chapter 4, is all like, how do we live now that we are in Jesus? And specifically, we are to increasingly live in love like Christ now that we are his. And as we saw back in chapter 4, it said that we are to walk in the ways of Jesus. We are to walk like he walked, to love like he loved. We are to live in love like Jesus. And then chapter 5, four, or sorry, chapter five verse 18, he said we are to be spirit-filled. And, and the way, one of the ways we are filled by the Spirit, he says, as, as followers of Christ, is to mutually submit to one another. 
to be able to sacrificially love one another the way that Christ has loved us. And, and that's where we looked at two weeks ago of mutual submission regards to wives submitting to husbands. And then last week we looked at that in regards to fathers or, or husbands to their wives of sacrificially loving them. And this week we're looking at children and parents. And then next week we look at this crazy thing of slaves and masters. And so Paul begins chapter 6 by saying this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. So after addressing wives and husbands, and first address wives and address husbands, he's going to do the same thing now. He's going to start by addressing the children and then address the parents. And amazingly, notice that in each of these situations, he first addresses the party of no power in that culture, which is amazing because there's no ancient writings of them addressing children or slaves or, 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 or wives in any way. But in this case, each time he acknowledges that he addresses the one that lacked power in the culture. And the word in this passage, the word used for children is, is really something referred to anyone under a parental authority at home. Specifically, it'd be targeting teenagers and, and young adults, those who are still under, that are unmarried, living at home in some way or under the parent's authority. And he, he addresses the children, he commands them. It's, it's not a suggestion, he commands them, obey their parents. This is not the word for submit, that was used earlier. It's not a general, it's a specific thing. Obey, do what they ask of you. Specifically, obey them. It's a strong word. And notice the reason, it's amazing, the reason to obey. He often gives these really good spiritual answers of why and, and because we love Christ. And here the answer, what is the reason why we should obey our parents? Because it's right. It's interesting. He, he doesn't give some spiritual answers. He says, no, this is the way it is. We obey our parents because that is the way Paul is saying the natural world works. That's the way God created the world to be. Children obey parents. It's the natural order that God put in place. To not obey our parents then would be wrong it's just a matter of fact he's saying this is the way it is obedience is not an option paul says in fact there's so many scriptures dealing with those who don't obey how wrong it is for children that disobey their parents and it's just something in that culture they didn't mess around with to be disobedient was seen as extremely terrible at that time and again this doesn't mean someone that just delays and to not you know, take out the trash on time when their mom asks it though eventually it could be part of that this is those who are disobeying is a, is a regular way of life and when, in the book of Romans, when Paul is describing this incredible kind of toilet-flushing response of those who are in sin, this terrible sin cycle in chapter 1 of all these depraved things, I want to check out this passage as it leaves, it finishes in kind of a weird place. He says, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, referring to those in sin, so they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. I mean, this gets intense. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. These are terrible people. And to cap it all off, they are disobedient to parents. He literally equates murder, inventing ways of evil with disobeying parents. In ancient times, to disobey your parents was considered a horrific thing. And it's not that God's view has changed. It's simply that our society around us has changed. You know the old phrase that sometimes it's a joke, you know, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it, right? We can joke about that today. But back then it was no joke. Parents followed through on it. Because back then, parents, fathers specifically, had legal authority over their children. It's amazing. They had complete legal authority of property of their children is the way it was viewed. Similar rights to a slave. They could murder their child for any reason. They could choose for any reason to not let it live. They had complete authority. Back then, when a baby was born, it was seen the father could decide whether the child lived, whether they wanted to keep it, abandon it, 
if it had any weaknesses or if it would make their life inconvenient in any way, they could choose to let the baby die or release it in the street or, or hand it over to someone else. Complete authority of the, of the father in that place. I mean, it's sick. But then you think also today, it seems that we kind of have some similar policies happening in our world today. Children obeying parents is in, rooted in the very fabric of creation. And just to be clear, I just want to state this, that this does not refer to children, the parents that are causing children or asking children to do th- harm, things that are harmful or sinful. The truth is we have to acknowledge there are many parents today who ask their children to do horrific things, who abuse them. And it's Being a pastor, one of the most surprising things to me is how, I mean, for those that don't know the story, we've just been doing this a couple of years now, moving back from overseas. Here in America is the surprising number of stories I hear of horrific parental abuse. Uh, in our body, so many of those stories. And this isn't saying obey parents that are horrifically abusing you and to do things that are abusive. In fact, it says obey them in the Lord. This does not enable abuse. Please hear that if you've been in that kind of situation. It says obey them in the Lord. If it goes against the ways of the Lord, you don't have to obey that, that's for sure. But this passage does not stipulate in any way the worthiness of what is commanded by the parents, which is fascinating. A child doesn't get to determine by themselves, for themselves, if they think a command is worthy of being obeyed other than if it would cause harm or if it would cause sin. They can discuss it, but the children children are commanded to obey. Even if the child thinks they're smarter and they know better, which of course would never happen, but even if that was the case, they're still commanded to obey. God says this is right and he commands it. He says children, and I I recognize that next service is where most of our children will be, but I, I know that many of us don't want to hear this, but Paul is saying with absolute clarity that even if you don't understand the why, we are still called to obey. With God, he says, this is right and this is wrong. It's, it's a clear statement that we don't get to decide what is right and what is wrong. We, we don't have a vote. It's, vote. it's not a, a democratic process. Our opinion is not asked for on this matter. We are called to obey. Obeying seems really obvious sometimes when kids are younger. They can view us as kind of superheroes and are convinced that everything we say is right. And it's been wonderful to have children that uh, it oftentimes think that we are so great. And I, I love to quote, though, by Mark Twain. He said that when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I turned 21, I was astonished at how much my father had learned in those seven years. Um, so much truth in that. But as a child, what if you feel that your parents aren't mature enough or if they're wrong? What if you feel you really, you know better, that maybe as a child you're more spiritually mature than your parents? Maybe you feel you have more wisdom than them and it's, is, it op- is it appropriate then to not obey and to, to ignore their commands? And to that, I would just point you to a story in the book of Luke about Jesus when his parents lost track of him at the temple. They walked away, they went back and found him at the temple and he was literally ministering to the priests. Their son, at 13 years old, had a ministry of ministering to priests. How incredible is that? In the temple, the priests were desperate to hear more from him. He is doing such an incredible thing. His parents are coming, saying, come back with us. He's like, but look at this ministry. Look what I could be doing. And he could have fought. He could have told them this was better. He could have said, I must stay here because look at what I'm doing. How could what you say to do is better, going back with you, be better than me fulfilling my calling and remaining here? And look at Jesus' response in verse 51. Then Jesus went down to Nazareth with his parents, and he was obedient to them and jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with god and man the way of jesus is obeying our parents even if it doesn't make sense even in jesus case if you know better and you're more spiritually mature and you have the right answer whether it's an arrogance or not the way of jesus is obedience to parents 
and result of Jesus growing in favor was he became the kind of man that fishermen and farmers left their hoes and left their work and their boats and their nets to follow him. A tax collector just got up and walked away from his tax booth to follow this man named Jesus who had been honed and grown with such favor among men. Obedience to parents is the way of Jesus. There's no other way to put it. And then Paul goes further in the next verse. He says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. So next, Paul connects the obedience back to the Ten Commandments. But notice the shift here. It goes from strictly the obedience of children to the honor your mother and father. So it goes from younger children to all children in this passage. This command encompasses anyone who has living parents of any kind. If you have any kind of parents, this applies to you. We never outgrow honoring our parents. We we do outgrow obeying our parents when we're no longer under their authority. But we never outgrow honoring them. This is a lifelong calling. And honor goes a much deeper level than simply obeying. Obedience can almost be begrudging compliance at times. We are just called to do it because it's right. And we definitely honor our parents by obeying them. But honoring is literally to value something, to show something in high regard. It goes way beyond obedience. To honor parents means they feel valued and esteemed and they recognize it. And maybe unless they're so narcissistic they can't see it. But in many ways, and in so many ways, the American culture today has moved away from the honoring and caring of parents and just kind of trying to put them out of mind and where parents are seen as a burden sometimes in many of our areas of our culture. A major reason of us moving to America actually was to be near our parents and as they got older, and I was grateful, we arrived literally one, day, one month after my father was, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so I'm so grateful we finally moved back to the States to be near them, to, to care for them, and to, to honor them, and to be with them. But as adults, we, we are not called to obey our parents. We are called to honor them. That means we, we don't have to give in to their manipulations. We, we need good boundaries, especially if they've wounded us, especially if they've tried to manipulate us in the past, but we are called to honor them regardless of their actions, even if we feel they are not worthy of honor. I recognize sometimes it's so toxic that you can't honor them in the ways that we would normally see. You can't be in communication in some extreme cases. And sadly, I know of multiple cases like that within our church where it is so toxic, in which case I'd say listen to your therapist. Um, But uh, for, for the vast majority of these situations, we are called to honor regardless of worthiness. It's not based upon their character. It's based on the character of Christ. We need to honor and care for them and love them. If you're a student or you're younger and you have parents that are older than, they're, they're, they're older and, and aging, and I guess they're always older than you, but uh, if they're getting older, honor them. And that doesn't just mean some kind of spiritual thing. Spend time with them. Honor them, care of them. The number one way we can honor is time. If you're a high school student or a college student, the number one ways you can honor your parents is Bail on your friends for a night and hang out with your parents and love on them. Play a game with them. Spend time with them. Parents are desperate to be with their kids as they grow old. If you have kids, honor your parents. Spend time with them. Do, make a sacrifice sometimes and to invite them on a vacation, to go to the lake, whatever it may be. But spend time. Honor them. Choose them. May they know that you want them in your life. And the promise of that is we are promised long life. Not just a transactional way but if we live our lives in such a way that we obey and honor our parents paul says we will live longer we will live lives that are more disciplined more caring more other centered and we will live longer as a result all right so that's what he says to children then he moves on to parents 
And what he says to parents, remember, comes out of the context of chapter 5, of this idea of mutually submitting to one another, this idea of being spirit-filled parents. And so he's going to address them in verse 4, and he says it this way, Fathers, do not provoke your, parent, your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the word for fathers used here is the same word the author of Hebrews uses to refer to both parents in Hebrews 11. So it, it can be both, but it is primarily speaking to the fathers, especially when you consider the patriarchal nature of, of the, the, the families back then. This, you can see, understand why he's doing this. But it still it applies to both today. I mean, we can recognize these things apply both ways. And I just want to emphasize, if you're a single mom, or you're a mother whose husband doesn't follow the Lord, this applies to you just as much. There's a powerful passage in the book of 1 Timothy where we learn that the apostle Timothy, his father, had no influence in his life growing up spiritually. He's not even mentioned, but Paul says that it was his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, were the ones who were involved in nurturing him and caring for him, leading him to the Lord. So if you are a single mother or your husband doesn't follow the Lord, this is just as applicable to you. You're in good company along with the apostle Timothy's family. And so first notice he tells the fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but provoke, and here is sometimes referred to as, or is translated as, do not exasperate, or do not build up anger within them, do not stir up anger. But instead he says, bring them up in discipline and instruction. Now the word bring them up is interesting because in the previous verse, just a few verses earlier, that same word is translated when he speaks to the husbands to nourish your body or nourish your wife and nourish them as you care for your own body. And so the, the, the translation there, bring them up, actually refers to nourishing and cherishing somebody. It's not just raising them, but to nourish them as you nourish your own body. And maybe you hear that, the fathers are called to not make their kids angry and to nourish them and instruction, and you go, wow, that's a, that makes sense. I mean, we, we should be able to follow that. But to say this back then to ancient Jewish and Roman worldview would have been radical, because that was not the way the understanding was. I mean, it would be like telling a father today that you need to coddle your son and you need to like pre-chew their food and like feed them like a mama bird to their baby bird. Like that's kind of how radical this would be speaking back to the culture back then of how insane what he's asking of them is to, to nourish them, to not exasperate them because that was the default understanding at the time. Last week we quoted from the Apocrypha, the book of, of Ecclesiasticus or the book of Sirach about kind of how the crazy way in which they viewed women. And they also has a lot back then, the wisdom literature, to say about the way they viewed children. So I want to read from the Apocrypha here, the, the book of Sirach. In chapter 30, it says this. Check out, notice how it describes the way that children are viewed by parents. A father who loves his son will whip him often so that he can be proud of him later. If a son is disciplined, he will be of some use, and his father can boast of him to his friends. Anyone who gives good guidance to his son can not only take pride in him among his friends, but he can make his enemies jealous. While the father is alive, the sight of his son makes him happy, and when he dies, he has no regrets. He has left someone to take vengeance on his enemies and return the favors he owes his friends. This is wisdom literature at the time. Notice the primary value of children back then. What is it? It's for the ego of the father. Children existed for the ego of their parents. It's all about the father boasting and him looking good. Why? Because children were legal property. They existed for your benefit. If they weren't benefiting you, they were no value. And if they weren't benefiting you, then beat them into submission until they are valuable for you. But it gets worse. Next verse. If you pamper your child and play with him, you, he will be a disappointment and a source of grief. Laugh with him now, and one day you will have to cry over him, grinding your teeth in regret. 
Don't give him freedom while he is young, and don't overlook what he does wrong. Beat him while he is still a child and make him respect your authority. If you don't, he'll be stubborn and disobedient and cause you nothing but sorrow. Here it is. So discipline your son and give him work to do, or else he will be an embarrassment to you. Do you see how sick that is? This is called wisdom literature of the time. Don't play with your child. Don't love them. Don't give them freedom. Treat them like a slave and beat them regularly into submission. Because if you don't beat them, they're going to make you look bad. So discipline them good. Why? So that they can be men of God, so they can follow God and, and lead their families well? No. So that they will make you look good. And that time, children, that's what they existed for. And so these words are incredibly radical being spoken into that culture. If children didn't make their parents look good, they were considered failures. That was their purpose and young. So instead of that, what does Paul command of the fathers here in this passage? Something radical. He says, don't exasperate your children. Don't, don't be cruel. Don't ride them. Don't provoke them to anger. Instead, nourish them. Care for them just like you would care for your own body. Just like you are called to do for your wife. Sacrificially love your children. Or as he says in 521, mutually submit to them in love and care and sacrificial love. And can you imagine that being spoken into that culture? Love them like Jesus loves them. And so Paul calls for fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. And there's so many ways that we can do this as parents today. Fathers are even more prone oftentimes than mothers towards this behavior, and often because of a twisted understanding of our own fatherhood oftentimes and the way our fathers treated us. But provoking our children to anger or exasperating them is something that can be caused in, in so many different ways. And so I, I just made kind of a list of some things that I just want to see if provoke a response to consider if you resonate with any of these things and how you have been a parent or how you have parented. So first, unrealistic or unreasonable demands. How easy it is as, as parents to have unrealistic demands of our kids and to nitpick and keep pushing. Fault finding. Intentionally looking for things that are being done wrong and focusing on the negatives of, of what's going on that causes our kids to feel like failures. Lacking empathy or grace. Not being in tune with the emotional state of our children. This is one I, I really wrestle with, if I'm honest, because I, for some reason, had the idea that by having only boys i wouldn't have to deal with emotional tidal waves right it would be a smooth sailing with a house full of boys and boy was i wrong um yeah it's it gets fascinating sometimes um teasing insulting or sarcasm i don't know how it's possible that as parents we can devolve to be even younger than the age of our children's and being petty and mean but it happens all the time for parents i mean how could we do this how could we ever speak anything that's not words of life to our children but yet if we're honest, somehow children sometimes bring out the worst in parents. Um, I'm ashamed to admit it, embarrassed, but I, in my entire adult life, have never yelled at anyone. It's just not my, I, I, because of some of my own emotional brokenness, I never was ever moved towards anger. Somehow in having children, um, I've yelled a lot um, to these little, precious, amazing kids whom I love so much. They have broken me so many times. Right? And it's just like, what is going on? I thought I'm going crazy so many times, right? And I've, I've said things that I, like, I've never said that to any human on the planet. I say it to people I care more about than all the earth, right? The only perfect parents out there are the ones who don't have kids, right? Because they obviously have the answers. And I, I don't know how this works, but I mean, I have been brought to my knees so many times. And my kids, the oldest is 10. So some of you are like, oh, just wait, James. And I, I understand, yes. Um, but how do we do that? How do we tease and 
The next one, teasing, insulting, and, 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 or sorry, te- that was teasing, insulting, and sarcasm. next one is um, inconsistency or hypocrisy. It is so easy as parents to be random and the kids don't actually know what to expect. And where we are just so, such hypocrites with our kids. I'm in our home, one of the things we often say, you know, we're not using any devices today, no electronics. Then JJ will point out, why are you on your phone? I'm like, go to your room. No, I don't say that. Um, but like just hypocrisy, they see it all the time where we tell them one thing and you got to read this or do this and, and then we don't follow the same way, right? And what does that do? It brings in the sense of great injustice, of hypocrisy and inconsistency in our lives that they don't understand. Another one that's super dangerous, playing favorites and comparing children. This is such a temptation for parents. I mean, why can't you be more like your sister or your brother? Your sister eats that. Your brother does that. Why can't you do it that way? Why do you got to always whine? And Just read the story of Jacob and Isaac. Oh, my goodness. And see the horrific consequences of parents that play favorites over their kids and compare. And then what I think is the most insidious of all, neglecting. We see this played out insanely in the life of King David towards his son Absalom with horrific consequences. But this one is so easy because it's easy just to get busy as parents. It's easy whether it be work or avoiding or just the sheer busyness. They're being too tired or being distracted by our phones or by other parts of life. Other times we can convince ourselves that we're really doing well and we can schedule vacations, maybe we can go to the lake, or, but still not actually spend time with our kids. So it's still a distraction. Vacations can be a distraction. Or we can sign them up for every possible sport that they're interested to. We can even attend all those sports and yet not have side-by-side, face-to-face time of investing in them and pouring into them discipling them and being with them i mean kids will adapt obviously if i ever offer my kids i mean there's been times where i, I had to break a, a time where i said we do a lunch together on friday and i couldn't do it if i ever offer them a kindle time or a time to play a game they'll take that sadly 100 percent of the time right they will always adapt but they will pay the price for it there's a startling statistic that brought me to tears when i started reading through and the implica- implications of it 90 percent of the time we spend with our children in our lifetime is before they turn age of 18 90% of time with our kids is gone by the age of 18. Only 10% of the time we will spend a lifetime with our kids is after the age of 18 on average. Which means those times are precious. But the statistic gets a lot scarier for me because 75% of the time we will spend with kids is before the age of 13. 75% of time parents will spend with their kids is before they turn 13. Because as they get older in their teen years, the time gets less and less as they're distracted with schedules and sports and other things around. We must cherish the time we have. And I have, my eldest is 10. I'm like, wow, in a few years, 75% of the time I will get to spend investing and directing and shaping my son will have already passed within just a few years. Which means we must cherish the time we have with them. If your kids are under 13, cherish time. If they're under 18, cherish their time. If they're over 18 and you're in that 10%, cherish and make the most of every single moment of how do I pour into them and love them in such a way to point them to Jesus and point them to the ways of the Father. Don't waste it. Next one, withholding compliments or encouragement. This one is so common, especially for some reason among fathers, that somehow we feel that encouragements and compliments are somehow, by them getting it, I, I don't get it in some way. Or it, it, it's, a, it's a finite amount that by giving it towards others that there won't be any left for me. And so many parents withhold encouragement and compliments for their kids and They're just sponges for it. It breathes life into them. Why would we ever consider not showering them daily with encouragement and compliments? Pride or stubbornness or not asking for forgiveness. Again, 
as parents, sometimes we are so slow to ask for forgiveness, and we wait for it. Our, our pride gets in the way, even with our, our children. And I recognize we're not going to do it perfectly, and this, is, this message isn't designed to bring shame, because we're all going to constantly fail as parents. But when we do, we must repent, and we must ask for forgiveness. You know, I'm ashamed to admit it, but just a couple weeks ago, I hit one of my lowest moments as a parent. Um, I completely exasperated one of my children. They weren't obeying. It was a matter of the will. I was literally preparing a sermon at the time for a couple weeks ago, and I got distracted by it as Sarah said, hey, you handle it. Um, And they pushed. They were defiant, and I laid down the law, and they refused, and I decided to be a wall, right? This is a battle of the wills, and daddy's stronger. Daddy's going to win. I allowed myself to get angry, and out of anger, I began to take away the things that were most prized possessions, the things they wouldn't have access to, and um, started making some very unreasonable demands as I started losing clarity of myself and um, until my child was literally a heap on the ground coughing and gasping for air in tears as they, they were so distraught, so angry, so broken as they were just laying, I didn't even touch them, they were just laying on the ground coughing saying they couldn't breathe because they were just so distraught as I kept pushing and pushing and pushing, demanding compliance. I was so ashamed, Sarah said, James, stop. (laughs) I was just like, you will submit. I'm I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of it. I went from a two to a 10 because I was just like, you will submit. The defiance just just triggered something in me. And I was just like, no, this isn't okay. And I became an emotional, unemotional wall. You know, I vowed that I would never, ever speak to my kids in anger. And I've only done it a couple times. And at that point, I broke that vow. I was angry. I finally paused, repented, asked for forgiveness, went away, prayed for a bit and just repented my, my heart out, went back to my child, apologized with everything I could, laid with them for a long time, and affirmed them over and over again, and found an activity we could do together, and, and we're back in, in, in a great space, but this is hard, being a parent. I don't know what it is, but man, it's so easy for us to exasperate and do this. This is our calling as parents. It's not always easy, but it's necessary for us to not exasperate, and then listen to the next part, but Parents, if you, I would just encourage you, go through that list right there. If you want to grow, go through that list and prayerfully seek the Lord. And here's here's the real kicker. Go through that list with your children. Sit with your kids. It's on the website, go under messages, some resources. You can find the slide. It's in the the sermon discussion questions. Go through that list with your kids. And to say, have you witnessed this in, in my parenting? Has this been true in any way? And then repent. Ask for forgiveness and and begin to make specific steps forward. Parents, if you have failed as a parent, and I know a lot of us have felt that way, I've met with so many who are in that place, you're in good company um, with the rest of parents, but also with our Father God. If you feel that you failed because your children are not currently walking with the Lord or something else, I mean, most of God's children are not currently walking with the Lord. Jesus himself couldn't even convince all of his disciples who followed him to stay with them, and one of them betrayed him and even murdered themselves. So you're in good company. So if you failed, it's okay. But start again. Don't wallow in misery of failure, but instead just say, Lord, I want to turn. And invest whatever time you have, whether you're you're 30 or whether you're 60 or whether you're 90. Invest the time that we have. If we want to grow, be honest, and just grow with the Lord. And I would encourage you to take a look at that list. Because next, Paul says, bring them, that being your children, up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now this is the crux of the whole passage here. It all points to this. This is our calling as parents, to bring up our children in the ways of Jesus. 
Not to be our children's best friends, not for them to be great athletes, not for them to have great careers, not for them to have good grades, though all those things can be beneficial, but that they would know Jesus and become increasingly like Jesus. That is our calling as parents. They would live and love increasingly like Jesus. That is our greatest calling, far above every other responsibility. So for parents, is that what we spend the majority of our time within our parenting emphasizing? Is that to raise our children to know Jesus and to become more like him? Because that is what our role is about. It's far more important than anything else we can fit into our schedules. As parents, the responsibility cannot be handed over to schools or to peers or to youth groups or to a coach or to a pastor or a youth pastor or social media or anyone else. We can leverage those things. We can work with them. But this is our role as parents is to point our kids in this way. It was laid out clearly by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy and the law. He says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Seven, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk, talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. So notice what Moses says here. He says, we must love God with all our heart, our mind, and our strength. He says, this is for parents, and you must follow this, he says. You parents must live this out. This must be true of you. You must love God in this way. You must know God in this way. Today he would say, live in love like Jesus if he was speaking to us today. And then he says, once you are living that out, once you are doing it, exemplify that life to your kids. Repeat the story of God over and over and over to your kids. Talk about it in your home, he says. Talk about it on the road. Talk about God's story at bedtime. Talk about it at breakfast. Talk about it all throughout the day. He even says, tie these commands around your neck. Tie them around your head. Put them on your clothes. Put them on your gates and on your walls. And so what does that mean for us today? As parents who are followers of God, we must first be living this reality out in our lives. We must be growing and knowing Jesus and living and loving like him. Then we must devote our energy to impressing it upon our kids with the incredible beauty of who Jesus is. But it must start with us. I know so many parents that are trying to impress upon their kids something they're not even living out in their own lives. And they're wanting for them, like kind of like a parent trying to make their kid be a baseball all-star when they couldn't play. Sometimes that's what parents do with kids in regards to their own faith. They've kind of given up on their own walk and they, they want it for their kids instead. We must devote our energy to this, not dogmatically teaching our kids, but it should be something visible within our lives, not just information about Jesus, but Jesus' story that comes alive. We should be talking about the reality of Jesus all the time with our kids. Our kids should see Jesus as a present and active member of our family and part of the house who's just there as part of who we are. I love it. Pastor Danny Aiken says, have a lot of fun and talk about Jesus a lot, right? They should just go hand in hand. But not Jesus as a concept or as a spiritual idea, as a blimp out there, but Jesus as, as real and present. Not talking about Jesus as a monologue, that it's just lectures, but Jesus as a dialogue of who Jesus is, visible within our midst. We must train them in the ways of Jesus. And our children must see it in our lives as parents. So parents, they must see it in us. Children must see us repenting as a normal part of life. They must see us sharing our faith with those who don't know Jesus. They must see us caring for our neighbors. They must see us using our home as a place of blessing for the hurting and the lost and strangers and other people with sharing meals and hospitality. They must see us sacrificing for the poor and hurting. They must see us being financially generous. They must see us consistently on our knees in prayer and seeking the face of the Lord and in the word as a lifestyle. 
We cannot be hypocrites, parents. We cannot tell our children that Jesus is Lord if we are not living as though Jesus is Lord of our lives. They'll see right through it. Andrew Murray said that the secret of home rule is self-rule. First being ourselves, what we want our children to be. It starts with us. We must live it out. Most frequently, the way a child views God is the way they view their father. Are we representing God to our children? And parents, I'd encourage you to take that list of those things of how children must see us and take that to your kids as well and say, have you seen this in my life? You want to mutually submit to your children and sacrificially love them? Don't just pray about it with you between you and God. Take it to your kids and ask them to be honest with how you're doing. And then repent and be encouraged where you're doing well. We must increasingly be like Jesus. I loved a story of a, a child. Was, it was a thunderstorm at night, and they went to the father in the middle of the night and woke him up and said, Daddy, it's, I'm scared. It's thunderstorms outside. Please, I, ne- I need you. The father was tired, didn't want to get out of bed, and he, he told the son, you know, Jesus is with you. Go, go back to bed. You know Jesus is there. And the child looked to the father and says, yeah, I know that, but right now I need Jesus with skin on. That struck me. That's what we are called to be as parents. Jesus with skin on. Increasingly becoming like Christ for our kids. So that when they see us increasingly, they can get to know what Jesus is like. Is that what we're doing, parents? Are we becoming more like Jesus, that we are able to exemplify the life of Christ to our kids? We can't fake it. Children see right through hypocrisy. We must increasingly, actually, living and loving more and more like Jesus. Amen? We must, as Paul says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means, yes, we need to train. Yes, we need to discipline. Yes, we need to instruct them. And those things can't be farmed out to others. We need to lean into community. We need to lean into youth groups and lean into community groups and, and, and lean into extended family. It's, it's why we do baby dedications as a church. And baby dedications aren't just about a person saying, hey, I devote my child to the Lord, but it's doing it in front of the body because the body then says, we will help you raise your child. We will be here for them. We will stand with you. And together we will do this because we take responsibility that this is a family and the children here are being raised together. And we take that responsibility. The truth is, if Northview is your home, every child within this church is part of your family, and the calling is upon us is to point them to Jesus and to live and love like Jesus, to sacrificially love them. I'm so incredibly grateful for those who pour into my children's lives. There's an incredible community here, whether it be Abby and Zeb or, or Amy Harris and, and so many others, and Ben Hall and Cooper, we're off to working with the kids groups, and, and all of those of you who serve, it's amazing what's going on. So Cooper's right here. I, I so appreciate those who are pouring into my kids, but it's much more, it's all of us. This is our calling is to, to lead them in this way as a body, whether you're a parent or not. But this is a primary role of parents. We can't farm it out. We can leverage those, but we can't farm it out. And, if, and the truth is, we're going to fail to do it well. We're going to fail regularly. It takes constant repentance. And as parents, we, 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 as parents, we must have greater influence than social media and their peer group. And most parents don't right now. And it's no easy task. We're going to fail again and again and again. I'll be honest, as I said before, it terrifies me. One of the things that scares me the most is one of my closest friends, a dear mentor of mine, is the greatest father I've ever met. He is the most Jesus-centered, Jesus-with-flesh-on father I've ever met. Raised his kids in ways that I've never seen any other father do with such 
gentleness, such strength, such time together, of, and all those rites of passage he did with his boys, and, and, and constantly taking camping, and being with them, and present, and showing them Jesus nonstop. The, I have wanted to pattern my life after this mentor of mine from South Africa. And I've never seen someone raise their boys more beautifully and have a better relationship with their kids. And it was just a few years ago, though, that they came home and found out one of their kids had ended his own life while they were gone. I'll be honest, that, that broke me. One, the grieving for them. But more of me just turning to God and Lord, what hope do I have? Like, what hope do I have? If that was the ultimate, the epitome of parenting, what, what hope do I have as a father? Because children will, will humble you. If Jesus couldn't even convince all of his disciples to follow God, what hope do I have? And the hope is right here. We, we follow the commands of Christ. And we grow in it, knowing that we're going to fail. You know, that shattered my bubble, and it caused me to cling even tighter to Jesus and have greater humility and desperation for him because I know I'm not that great. I know I will fail. And in fact, just this past week on Tuesday, I knew how badly I failed. Uh, uh, on Tuesday morning, somehow we got some of the mail, some kind of letter. It was like a lottery letter that you were, it was like, give us $150 and you'll be in a raffle to win this $9 million home. And JJ found this thing with his picture and he woke up, he was so excited. He's like, Daddy, look at this, we're going to win a home. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. He's like, all you got to do is give 150 bucks and it's a $9 million home. And they were talking about the house and all the rest of it. And I jumped in because this is my chance to be a teaching moment, right? I'm a teacher, I'm a father, and I got my boys together and I taught them. I gave them a great lesson on economics, on, on how terrible lotteries are and how it's an oppression of the poor and, and how I, I was able to point back to Jesus and explain to them. And I brought up, open up like the, the Mega Millions lottery and showed it was $26 million. I'm like, wow. And I'm like, but look at the odds. Like, no one's going to make anything off this. They make all this money. And I walked away really proud of myself knowing that all my three, three kids walked away going, wow, dad, that's a really bad idea. I was proud of myself. Came back to work a couple hours later, and I got a text from my wife saying, great job teaching the kids. Um, she says, all three of them now want to give us all their money to buy lottery tickets. Um, <laughs> they're convinced they're going to win $26 million now, not just a $9 million house. They're convinced, and, and JJ's already calculating how he's going to spend that money. So um, <laughs> as parents, we need incredible humility. Uh, instructing our children and training them doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go, even when we're pretty proud of ourselves. Um, uh, yeah, that was, that was a little humbling moment. Um, children are experts at humbling their parents, amen? And yes, it means discipline as well, but luckily the cool thing is we don't do this alone. One of the most powerful passages in the New Testament is found in what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our calling as parents. That's not just a missionary call. It's the call to our children to train them and equip them. But notice the last part there. You are not alone. Jesus is with us. I'm with you always through his Holy Spirit. It's not all on our shoulders. Our shoulders aren't big enough. But Jesus is here empowering us with his Spirit. But we must seek him daily, sometimes hourly by, or minute by minute. Jesus doesn't give us the most important task in the world and says, there you go, figure it out. But he's right there with us. So our hope is not in my ability, but his ability. My hope is not in my strength, but his strength. Not in my wisdom, but his wisdom. And he's with us. I love how Paul Tripp puts this in his book on parenting. He says, our hope as a parent is not found in your power, your wisdom, or your character, or your experience, or your success, but in the one thing alone, the presence of our Lord, the creator, savior, almighty, sovereign king is with you. 
Let your heart rest. You are not in the parenting drama alone. Your potential is greater than the size of your weaknesses because the one who is without weakness is with you and he does his best work through those who admit they are weak, but in weakness still heed his call. Amen? So Jesus says, and be sure of this, I am with you always. All right. So I've given a lot of application today, but I just want to highlight a couple things as we finish this morning. First, for everyone, regardless of your parent or not, how are we honoring our parents? That's a, a clear one we get to walk in. Genuinely esteeming them in ways that they would understand. But for parents specifically, regardless of how old your kids are, whether you feel you failed or not, are we intentionally being Jesus with skin on to our kids? Is that our reality for our children? Are we Jesus with skin on for them, increasingly? If not, recommit today to follow Jesus and to be this. Change. Don't wait another day. Do it today and say, Lord, this is my aspiration. I want to point them to you. There's an incredible book for fathers called The Intentional Father. It's the best book I've read for fathers by John Tyson. It came out a couple years ago. Um, some parts are pretty intense of things, but it's just super practical of how do we create rights and passages for our boys to be able to walk with them for I've not seen anything like it. I won't do everything in it because some of it's a bit intense, but I've never seen that challenges me of what that means to be intentional with our kids, quite like what Tyson writes here. But second, listen to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy. Are we actively becoming more like Christ and pointing our children to the faith, or to, to the Lord in all that we do? Are we, is, is Jesus just part of life in our home? Are we talking about him? Is it part of life? Can our children watch us in all the ways in which we are pursuing Jesus? Is that normalized within our home? Or is it something we just do at church on Sundays? I'd so encourage you. It's right there on the slides. Go through those lists with your kids. I challenge you to do it. I did that exercise myself this week. I'm going through them. This last week I spent like 20 hours prepping and really just on, primarily on one verse of chapter 6, verse 4. And, and this I just felt the Lord over and over. I was overwhelmed with this idea that, you know, I'm close to 75% of the time done with my eldest. And as I began looking at my calendar, looking at schedules prayerfully, I my response, my immediate applications was I cleared out a bunch of ministry stuff that I'm doing this summer. And I said, I told Sarah, you know, I, I'm canceling this trip and I'm canceling that one. Instead, we're just going to go camping with the kids and we're just going to spend time together. I just want to pour into the kids. and I don't want to let ministry get in the way of, of doing that and, and other people getting in the way of doing that. So that was my practical application this week of all the ones I did. That was the biggest one was just clearing the calendar and multiple things that actually to not just be around my children, but to pour into my children. If your kids are no longer living at home, awesome. It's still upon you. If you're a grandparent, even better. Do not forsake the challenge that Paul is giving us that we are called to pour into our children. It doesn't end when they leave the home. Grandparents, your calling is to point your kids and your grandkids to Jesus. Don't renege on that opportunity to pour into life of Christ into your kids, your grandkids, to tell them how much you love them. It's a weird thing. I'm 43 years old, and somehow it still means a lot to me when my mom tells me she's proud of me. Why does that matter to me? Because she's a parent, and it matters. Parents, love your children and point them to Jesus and your grandkids. And if you don't have kids, awesome. you got all the more time in the world to be able to serve the children around. If you want, join some of our, our ministries to the kids in this community. But pour our lives into raising the next generation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that it's not all on our shoulders. I thank you, Jesus, that you've said it, Lord, that you are with us to the very end of the age. I know there are many parents here who have wrestled and have struggled.
I know there's so many kids who have walked away from you, Jesus, and parents who are, feel like failures and are hurting. Jesus, may you speak your words of life to parents today and encourage them with your words of life. And Lord, may you empower us and challenge us to never give up, to keep praying, keep pursuing, keep holding on to you, to increasingly be Jesus with flesh on, with skin on to our kids. Lord, may you challenge our youth and our young adults to increasingly obey you, Jesus, by obeying your parents. God, may you form our hearts more into your way. Jesus, may you form us as a body. Increasingly, Lord, to live in love like you. As parents, as children, as grandparents, whatever it may be. We want to reflect your beauty to the world, and that starts within our families. Jesus, challenge us. Point out where we have lost the way and have gone astray. This is not a message of shame, but one of life, of hope, of holding on to you. Jesus, draw us into your arms this morning. Empower us to respond not out of shame or guilt, but out of a hope that with you, we can walk in your ways, proclaim your truth and your life and your wonder to our families around us.